kids that are dismissed to our children's ministry out that door and to the left. And if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Kings. We're going to be in chapter 3 and chapter 11. Thank you, sir. Um, we're going to be in 1 Kings today. And we want to welcome you again to SOMA. We are a bilingual church. Um, we meet every week in English and Spanish. And so we're excited that you would spend this time with us on a Sunday morning. We know there's a lot of things you could be doing on a Sunday morning, but you have decided to spend it here with us, and that means a lot to us. We don't take that lightly, and we're honored that you would spend uh, this morning, this time with us. Um, before we go any further, I'm going to ask if you would pray with me as we get right into the scriptures this morning. God, we thank you for uh, bringing us together. Um, you are a God who unites us, um, who combines us under your name, Father. And so may we live in light of the goodness of your Son, Jesus. So as we talk about Old Testament passages, old kings, uh, stories that have been passed down for thousands of years, sometimes... Um, there's a lot that can get lost in that. Sometimes there's um, things that we may not even understand in those things. So as we open it up and read the stories this morning, this story of this man named Solomon, we ask that you would speak to us through this. And um, we gather together because these, these ancient stories, we believe there's more, more to it than just just stories, that they have power, that the truths that are conveyed in those stories from thousands of years ago still resonate deeply with us today. And so we pray that that would be true for us this morning, that we would um, learn not just something about a king who lived a long time ago, but um, may some of the things we learn about him apply to us, challenge us, grow us, stretch us, uh, in this time together, God. We just pray that as we gather together that we would live in light of uh, what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. So we pray for our church, we pray for our community, but we pray for ourselves too that we would grow in faith towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I got a couple riddles for you this morning. I'm going to kind of ask you to stretch your brain we're going to work on a couple things, and there's a reason behind all this, but I do want to see, I want us to kind of get into the mindset of what we're going to talk about this morning, so I'm, going to, I'm just going to lay out two different riddles. We're just going to try and figure, figure this out. Um, all right, the first one is this. Say inflation gets really out of hand, and the cost of a chicken and an egg combined is $108, Okay. Let's pretend that that's it's just, it's just easier. It's $108. If the chicken costs $100 more than the egg, then how much does the egg cost? 108 combined. The chicken costs $100 more than the egg. How much does the egg cost? And if anybody knows the answer, you can say it out loud. Four. Four. All right. Yeah, that is correct. That took no time. That's awesome. I'm not good at math. I thought that was going to be challenging, but no, it was not at all. All right. All right, this is a word riddle, okay? Uh, I have a mouth. Uh, what has a mouth but never talks? What can run but never walks? What has a bed but never sleeps? And what has a head but never weeps? A river, that's right, very good. Again, I thought that would be more challenging. 
But we have very smart people in here today. You are right. So the chicken costs 104, the egg costs 4, 108 total. Mouth never talks, run never walks, bed never sleeps, head never weeps. That is a river. It has all of those things, but it doesn't do any of those things. And there's, a, even if you knew the answer before, there's a sense of accomplishment. I, I like riddles, and I kind of like puzzles in that way. I like competition because I like to win things. But I also, I got like the sense of accomplishment that you feel when you've been working on something for a while, and you have some sort of victory in mind, some sort of accomplishment. And for a lot of you, it may not be riddles. It may not be games. It may be building something or creating something or writing something, whatever the case may be. I think there's, we, when we do hard things, there is this sense of accomplishment that we get to look on the front end and say, this is going to be difficult, but I'm going to have this sense of satisfaction when I get done with it. And it doesn't matter. Like, I can't build anything. Anybody who knows me knows that I can't do any of that stuff. But uh, when I, I remember I changed out a light switch one time and I thought that I had built the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I thought I was so, um, I was so architecturally, structurally sound. Um, but if, if we do something, if we set out to do something hard, there is this sense of reward that we get when we accomplish that thing. I was uh, reading an, artic, uh, an article, an interview, this has been a few years ago, and it was with Arnold Schwarzenegger, when, you know, the, the governor, the actor, the Mr. Universe winner, and uh, it was about his tenure as governor in California, and he was pretty controversial. He's kind of a controversial figure sometimes with the, his name in the news. But as a governor, he was very controversial, and he faced a lot of criticism and heat for some of the policies or some of the things he wanted to do. And one of the questions that this interviewer asked him was, was it hard waking up every morning and hearing all this criticism come your way? How did you respond to that? And he said, yes, it was very hard. But anything worth doing is hard, Right. He said, I set out to be Mr. Universe when I was 18 years old, but can you imagine if the first day in the gym I was like, these weights are heavy and I don't want to pick them up anymore, uh, so I'm not going to do it. He said, I, I would have the comfort of not having to pick up those heavy weights, but I would not have achieved what I wanted to achieve. And this is a pretty simple concept, right? If we want to achieve something great, if we want to get the answer that we're looking for, sometimes it takes difficulty, it takes strife, it takes struggle, it takes work. There are things that we have to process through. There are things, obstacles that we're going to encounter in order for us to get what we want in life. And the problem is, is that sometimes we just prefer comfort over the difficult path. So when we prefer comfort... It is comfortable, but we often don't get what we want out of life. And this is true particularly in our life with God, in our spiritual life. Because, at least I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in an environment where I thought as long as I like, accept Jesus into my life, then everything is going to be easy for me. But there is a, a level, uh, as soon as I started my faith journey, where I started realizing, oh, that's that's not true at all, right? There are things that I'm going to encounter in my spiritual life that are going to be difficult. And a lot of those things entail uh, obedience and listening to God and uh, living outside of our culture and what our culture wants or expects from life and living more in line with what God wants. And this is what we've been talking about in our series for the past few weeks. We've been in this series called Kingdom Without a King, 
And we've been talking about people uh, in the history of Israel, kings in the history of evil uh, of Israel, who wanted the kingdom values. So they wanted love, uh, mercy. They wanted peace and prosperity. They wanted the kingdom of God in their own lives and in their own kingdom, but they didn't want to actually listen to the king. They didn't want to listen to God. So they wanted all the benefits of being with God without actually being with God, actually, without actually listening to his voice. And again, we've talked about Saul, we've talked about David, we've talked about the people just in general, but today we're talking about Solomon, who's another king who at times listened to God's voice, but in other times did not want to hear what God had to say. So he did his own thing. He wanted the easy route, but it did not work out for him. So we're going to read two different passages this morning. The first is 1 Kings 3. And the second is 1 Kings uh, 11. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Kings 3. And we're going to read verses 7 through 9 is where we're going to be. Uh, 1 Kings 3, 7. This is right after Solomon, the guy we're talking about this morning, becomes king. And this is Solomon talking. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people. A nation so great and numerous, they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart, so that I can govern your people well, and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? So Solomon, his father David dies, and Solomon becomes king. And when he becomes king, he approaches God with this prayer. He says, this is a hard job. There's a large kingdom, lots of responsibility, a whole lot of people who are expecting me to do the right thing and the good thing, and I don't really know how to do it. He compares himself to a child who doesn't know his way around. It's a pretty good metaphor, right? If you've ever seen a lost kid or if you've ever been lost yourself, this idea of I have this big responsibility, I have to find out how to handle this responsibility as best as I possibly can, but I don't know how. And this is where Solomon finds himself. So he asks God, help me do this. And so in that, there's this idea, and there's these other passages where Solomon asks God himself for wisdom. He says, I don't want power, I don't want wealth, I don't want riches, I want wisdom. And God says, sure, I'll give you these things. And Solomon, this kind of learning way of operating as a king, is pretty consistent throughout Solomon's early reign as king. And the book of Proverbs is written almost entirely by Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, and there's, there are things in there that were written thousands of years ago that still resonate so deeply and powerfully with us today. So here's a guy who asked God for wisdom. He gets it, and so his story starts out good. God, I have a lot of responsibility. I have this tough task in front of me, and I know I need you in order for me to accomplish it. So Solomon knows that if he's going to be king, it's not going to be easy. And so we ask God to help him out. And God says, yes, I will do that for you. But things turn around once Solomon gets to a level of power. And when it does, it goes south very quickly for Solomon. And that's in chapter 11. So if you uh, have a Bible, just flip over a couple pages. Solomon, or 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, 
Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because it will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. So hold your finger right there. We're going to go a little bit further, but I want to talk about what Solomon did. So Solomon at first says, God, I need your help because I'm not going to be able to make it through. I'm not going to be able to govern your people in the way that's right if I don't have your help. God grants him this request. And then eight chapters later, we get Solomon, who's achieved this level of wealth and power, and his kingdom is kind of stabilized. Um, And it tells the story of Solomon, who has 700 wives and 300 concubines. Solomon has 1,000 women at his disposal, and he's king. He gets to have that, and he wants it. He He can ask for it, and he gets it. Now, we talked earlier, we talked last week about this decree that's at the very beginning of the nation of Israel is that uh, when they have a king, he's not supposed to expand his empire. He's not supposed to just conquer other countries and other worlds and other lands for the sake of just growing the kingdom. He's supposed to rely on God and allow God to lead God and direct him. Now, God will protect him if any invaders come in, but he's not supposed to expand on his own, uh, just on a whim, just because he wants to. And Solomon does the exact opposite. One of the other commands that we read here is God asks Solomon and all the people of Israel, do not marry people from other countries and from other cultures. And the reason he asks them to do this is because they are surrounded by, there's only one reason God asks him to do this. It's because the Israelites are surrounded by people who worship pagan foreign gods. And God says, this is the... The only reason I don't want you to marry these people from these other areas is because I don't want them to bring the worship of this false god, this idol, into our land. I don't want our people to lose sight of who I am by worshiping other gods. But Solomon can't help himself because he's king, and now he has this position of power. And let's be honest, Solomon just wants to be with a thousand women. And so he does it because he has the power to do it. God has told him specifically, do not do this. But Solomon can't help himself. His desire for his own personal power, his desire for his own personal pleasure uh, is greater than his desire for obedience to God. He just wants it. And so he says, I'm going to have it because that's what kings do. And the worst part about this is Solomon can actually justify doing this because this is the way kings and rulers operated in the ancient past. Now, this is weird for us to think of because we don't think of kings and queens and princes, like, I mean, other than watching a royal wedding, we don't really think of them having real power, right? But in Solomon's day, the king would marry people from different tribes, from different countries, from different areas, in order for them to expand their kingdom, in order for them to grow their empire, in order for them to develop peace treaties. Instead of signing pieces of paper, women were treated as property as an exchange of goods. In other words, you marry a woman from our area of the world, and we won't attack you because we know that you're joined to us in this way. We wouldn't attack one of our own. Now you are one of our own. So Solomon 
gets whatever he wants, and he also can justify it by saying, I'm just doing what's best for Israel. I'm just doing what's best for my people, for God's people. But let's be honest. Solomon wants what he wants, and he doesn't want to be obedient to God. He just doesn't. I just want what I want. I want to do what I want to do, and that's it. And so he gets to this point where he has a thousand women at his disposal. So eight chapters earlier, he says, God, I want to follow you. I want to listen to you. I, I, I know ruling a kingdom is not going to be easy, so I need your help. And then he gets to a point where he says, I got this king stuff figured out, and I'm just going to do whatever I want to. I want it easy. I want it simple. I want what I want. I want my own modern conveniences. I want the conveniences that are guaranteed to me as a king in this area of the world at this time. I want what I want. I don't want to live differently. I don't want to listen to God. I just want to do what I want to do. But at the end of verse 3, it says, in fact, these wives turned his heart away from God. And we're going to see in verse 4 through 11 just how much they turned his heart away from from God. In Solomon's old age, as he got older, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. So Solomon marries these 700 women, and he has these, other, he has these 1,000 women at his disposal. And what they start wanting to do is build shrines to the gods from where they're from. And this isn't just building temples, and this isn't just building statues or idols. They start to worship, and it says they're burning incense, and they're sacrificing to gods. Now, what I'm about to tell you is, is kind of graphic, and I'm not being graphic for the sake of graphic, just being, like, shocking. I'm going to tell you what was involved in the worship of some of these gods. Uh, Molech, the god of the Ammonites, was a bronze statue and uh, people would build a statue out of bronze, and the, the, the statue would be pretty empty inside. And either the statue would be standing with his hands to his side, or he'd have his hands raised. And when people would go to worship Molech at least once a year, when it says sacrificing to their gods, they would put their own children in the hands of the statue. Or there would be a compartment in the back, and they would put their own children into the statue, light a fire at the feet of this bronze statue to where it would get so hot to where their family, their children would melt in front of them as they're sacrificing to this God. Uh, Chemosh 
was a God that was very similar. He demanded human sacrifice in the way that you might say, if you've ever been to, um, if you've ever seen like Aztec or Mayan ruins, and there are these large temples where people would sacrifice hundreds of years ago, where they had sacrificed and the blood would run down the stairs. This is the type of worship that people would sacrifice to Shamash. And again, I'm not being graphic for being graphic. I'm telling you, Solomon didn't wake up one day and said, you know what? I think I'm going to start sacrificing children. No, Solomon woke up one day and said, it would be really nice to have lots of wives because I'm the king and I can have that. And then all of a sudden, all this horrible, awful, when it says detestable, that is what it means. The Israelites are surrounded by people who think human sacrifice is okay. And 2,000 years ago, every other worshiper who did not worship God, thought it was all right to live this way, but God was different. He said, no, 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 I'm not going to ask you to sacrifice your own family. I just want you to, to follow me, worship me, and obey me, but I'm not going to ask you to sacrifice your own family and friends. Solomon doesn't set out to do that. He doesn't set out to sacrifice people. He just wants what he wants, and he has it at disposal, and it's convenient for him, and It'd just be easy for me to marry all these women and have all these women at my disposal because, frankly, that's what I want. Solomon doesn't set out to do these awful, detestable things, but he gets there. And it's because he just wants what he wants. And he wants the kingdom without listening to the king. And he wants the kingdom values without obeying. And that always gets tricky for us. Uh, we, we live in a culture that promises us comfort, right? Everything is at our fingertips. And it's almost like we have come to a place where we try to avoid suffering at all costs. We try to avoid difficulty at all costs. We just want to be comfortable. We want to sit on our couch and have our food delivered to us and we don't, we don't want to have to worry with it being too hot or too cold or too difficult or I have to walk too far. We don't, ha- don't want to have to do any of those things. And I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong. I'm not saying we should go out in the woods and build log cabins and not have any electricity. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is our pursuit of comfort sometimes trumps our pursuit of God. And we can't be that way. If we want to grow spiritually, we have to walk into situations that are going to make us uncomfortable. If we want to grow closer to God, we have to be okay with the fact that sometimes he's going to ask us to be obedient to things that we don't want to be obedient to. I've had conversations with a couple of my friends about this lately, but there, there have been times, and I think I've said this here, is I love the life that I have. I love our church, I love Tupelo, I love our community, I love my family. But there are times when I look at the lives that other people have, and I say, I want that. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm willing to skirt around the life that God wants me to live in order to achieve those things. But if we're going to follow Jesus, and if we're going to be serious about the life that he's called us to, then we just 
We've got to give up comfort sometimes. And, um, gosh, it sounds harsh to say, but we have to be obedient to the, to the life that he's called us to. And I, I know that there are times in all of our lives when this is hard. Uh, and I know that there are times in all of our lives when we have taken, I don't know if we've taken a step back from faith, but we've had times where we don't really understand what God is doing, or we question Him, or we don't spend that much time with Him because we, we, just, we just don't see it. We just don't understand. We just don't know. And this is a place for us to explore those struggles and explore those doubts and explore those difficulties. But I also want to call us into, we want to call each other into a life that's following Jesus. And if we're going to live a life where we follow Jesus, then we have to understand that sometimes things are going to be difficult for us. Um, but God calls us to something greater. Um, when we, uh, Daniel and I, um, and other people who have been part of this uh, launching SOMA, as we start to talk to different people, there, there are lots of people who have told us that they are very excited about what we're doing, and then they have a thousand different questions about why we're doing it, right? And a lot of times we hear this, I could never do that. I could never be part of a church like that. Um, because it's different, right? But every time we meet together, and if you've been here for very long, or if this is your first time, hopefully you've felt this, you understood that there's something different about what God is doing here. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we're better than other churches. I'm not saying we're just, we're just different. This is the route that God has laid out for us. And there are tons of other churches that we partner with, and we're part of a family of churches that do great things for the kingdom, but this is the route that God has chosen for us. And if we're going to follow down the path, we understand there are going to be some bumps along the way, and there are going to be some things we don't understand, and there's going to be some things that get lost in translation, literally lost in translation. We understand that, but we also know that this is the road that God has called us to, and we want to walk it. And we just want to be faithful every single day. And it's hard and um, it's challenging, but it's amazing, right? It's amazing. And so this is what this is what we see: is there are times when God calls us to be obedient to Him, even when everybody else that we know is doing something different. But if we're obedient, uh, if we follow Him, if we trust Him then he reveals so much to us that we never thought we'd see. So uh, let's be like Solomon at the very beginning of his reign. Say, God, I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know what you're calling me to. And I'm not just talking about as a church. I'm talking about in your life. There are things that you're probably looking at that you're saying, decisions you have to make. And it's easier to kind of make those and seek advice and seek counsel and never really think about how much time you're spending with God in the middle of this. But let's be the type of people who look every single situation in our lives and say, God, I don't really know what I'm doing here. I really need your help. And trust that he's going to help us in the middle of that. Because when we do, he does.
Let's seek the kingdom of God by seeking the king. Uh, let's pray.